Some time ago, I had a dream. I told it at the community dinner when we were having that, but I haven't told it to anybody else since then. And since that dream, since the setting of that dream was here in this church, um, really right here in this sanctuary, I thought it good that you all hear it too. Um, you're getting the better end of the deal because since I had that dream, I've had a chance to analyze it more, study it, and I can see more richness to this dream now than when I first told it. Um, in this dream, it was this building. It, it, it was this sanctuary, except the piano wasn't here. I remember that. But the time frame was all wrong. Um, we, were in, we were all dressed in Revolutionary War era clothing. The women had the long dresses, pastel colors. Some of them were bonnets. Us men had um, white ruffly shirts, white ruffles around here, ruffle around the collar, ruffle down the front. Of that era, we all had that traditional cotton long coat that came down to about the knees. We wore it unbuttoned. Then after, under that, we had the traditional breeches that came down just below the knees, the long white stockings, the black shoes. And the pastor, he was... Um, he was dressed finer than the rest of us. And he, what? He kind of had that Benjamin Frank look to me. He, he kind of reminded me of a somewhat portly, well-to-do New England shopkeeper. Uh, he spoke with a New England accent too when he was up front here preaching. And it was odd, he didn't remind me of any preacher we'd ever had here before. Um, he was dressed in a um, dark green velvety looking long coat. He wore it unbuttoned like the rest of us. Underneath that, he had a lighter green silk vest that was buttoned, and then the same old white roughly shirt that the rest of us had. And then his breeches, it matched his long coat, uh, dark green velvety, typical long stockings and polished black shoes. But he was different than, he had a tri-cornered hat that fit, uh, that matched his coat, dark green with silver trim. Um, while he was up front here preaching, all of a sudden, all three sets of back doors burst open, and there was quite a ruckus to start in the back of the church. Some of the women screamed. Um, men, rough-looking men that looked like orcs to me, reminded me of orcs from Lord of the Rings, were coming in through the back doors. They'd kick the back doors in, and they were, they were just pouring in. And, um, well... Have you ever driven along the road sometimes and you see a derelict just stumbling along the side of the road with a bottle in his hand? It looks pretty rugged and you think to yourself, man, he has lived a hard life. Take that dream or take that vision, add hate to it and multiply it by 10 and I think you'd have these guys. Um, on the radio, uh, speaker Chick, Chip Ingram, I remember him. Uh, I remember him telling me, or saying on the radio, um, your lifestyle has consequences. That which is on the inside of you affects the outside of you too. And um, I could tell these guys were evil, uh, pure evil. And um, imagine being that way from birth and then living your whole life that way, how that would warp and twist you. Just, just your physical looks, how that would warp and twist you. Um, well, yes, these guys were burly, mostly bald. Uh, they were dressed poorly, tattered clothing, um, dirty. Their skin pallor was an unhealthy-looking grayish color, and they were covered with hundreds of wounds and cuts. 
um, from countless battles and fights and attempting to be, uh, people attempting to kill him and such. Um, their noses were broken normally multiple times, so their noses weren't normal. They were twisted, uh, odd-looking, eyes flashing pure hate, um, their teeth uncared for, blackened, mostly broken, looked like fans, kind of, because they were so broken and chipped and black. Odd thing about them, I didn't hear any of them speak. They only growled or snarled. And they remind me so much of two verses in the Bible about evil. And I remember in Isaiah 57 and Mark 7. If Oh, it's there. Sorry. Um, Isaiah 57. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. But the wicked are like a troubled sea. It's like the ocean is always in motion. It's never at rest, constantly troubling. Usually, for the most part, it's a destructive energy. You have shore erosion, hurricanes, tsunamis, waves rushing, going in and out, in and out, tides going up and down, all this energy, but it's getting nowhere. That kind of reminds me of an evil man, like the song Ghost Riders in the Sky, where those cowboys are constantly chasing a runaway herd and they never catch it. Such is the ocean. And out of the depths of the ocean, out of the heart of the ocean, all, we, all they can spit up is mire and dirt. And then there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. There is no peace for the wicked. Um, kind of like lemmings running in a herd, running in a group to the sea, blindly running to their own destruction. So, hey, lemmings, where are you going? I don't know, but I got to go. I got to go. Just to their own destruction. And then in the New Testament, Mark 7 gets even more to the point of the matter. For from within, out of the hearts of men, proceed evil thoughts. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. I shorten the verse to make it easier. But um, if the only thing in their heart is evil and hate, well, that's the only things that are going to come out. Evil and hate, mire and dirt. That's, all they, that's the only thing they can give. Now, as they were coming in through the back, um, as the doors burst open, you know, some of the women exclaimed in surprise, oh, but then after they realized what was going on, they screamed, grabbed their kids and ran up front, right up here on the stage. As more and more women realized what was going on, they too grabbed their kids and ran up here on stage till all of them were up here uh, with kids clinging to their legs as frightened, confused, and the only comfort they had was their mom. They were clinging to their comfort as tight as they could. Now, as the ladies were coming forward, this pastor said to us, to arms, boys, line up. And within 15 seconds, we were all out of our seats and lined up here in the line right in front of the stand. And um, this reminded me of Tracy Schrock's wall that she demonstrated first in one of her sermons some time back. Uh, the pastor, he had moved from here down over to there with a saber in hand. You know, we had muskets in hand while we were standing here up front odd thing about that. We didn't have muskets when we were sitting at our seats, but we had them when we were here standing in line. Uh-oh, what did I say? But uh, it, it was odd. So it was like the muskets appeared in our hands as we came forward 
So we all had them here. Um, now these evil men, these orc men, they didn't come charging up front right away. They hung in back, uh, waiting for all their numbers to come in through the back doors. And um, the, the first ones through the doors, they were throwing chairs out of the way to make room for more of their members. And it wasn't, it was, it was yeah, yeah, throwing them. The chairs were flying like projectiles. And they didn't have muskets. They had clubs. And some of them, seething, seething. Some of them just waiting. And then others, um, they would point their clubs at one or another of us in lines, like, as if to say, you're mine. <laughs> and um, somewhat intimidating. Now, when I was here, I stood about right here in line. And while I was there, I looked off to my left. And just a couple men away from me, I recognized Dave Schrock standing there. Um, he was resolute, immovable, jaw set, fixed, staunch. Quite a ways away from him, further down the line, I recognized Dave Cook. And his son, Luke, was standing next to him. Past them, I couldn't see anybody else because the line went past this way. But Dave Cook was standing there just as calm as a cucumber, calm. But his son, Luke, standing next to him, I could tell he was nervous. His eyes were rolling, kind of wild-eyed, and he'd look up at Dad every now and then as if for reinsurance. Um, and in analyzing this dream, I wondered to myself, why those three? Why did I, out of everybody here in the church, why did I only recognize those three guys? And I think it had something to do with 1 John 2. 1 John 2, verses 13 and 14. I write to you, little children, because have, you have known the Father. The Father here is God. I have written to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Now, in 1 John, this phrase is repeated twice. Not exactly the same way, but almost the exact same way twice. The first time 1 John 2 says this uh, passage is referring to age difference. It's referring to children that may be like five years old, young men that may be 15-year-olds, fathers that maybe 30. Here, where it's talking about it, here it's re talking about maturity in Christ. So the fathers here in this would be those that have been with uh, Christ for a long time. The young men are those that are growing in Christ. The uh, little children are the newborn babes in Christ, those that have recently accepted Christ. And so I'm thinking in this dream, those three men represented all the men of the church. Every man of the church would, would be in one of those categories. Um, so seeing that, I, I see Dave Schrock as representing the fathers. He's followed Christ long enough and faithfully enough that he knows God unshakably. He knows what needs to be done, how to do it. He knows how to fight God's battles, and he knows how to win. I was thinking Dave Cook represents the young men. Um, his faith in Christ is growing. Um, he knows what to do. He may not have the life experience or the steadfastness of Dave Strzok, but he knows what to do. Luke, to me, represented the um, new 
born children in Christ, the, the, the newborn, the, uh, newborns, I should say, the young Christians, those that just recently accepted Christ. He's up front standing here in line because he knows that's what he's supposed to do. But besides that, um, he's a little shy. He, besides that, he don't know the details. After He just knows he's supposed to stand in line. He don't have the steadfastness. He don't have the um, confidence that his dad or Deshrock had because his faith is new. He hadn't been tested yet. This is going to be his first battle. Um, now, some folks may scoff and say, ha, what nonsense. Who brings their weapons to church? Um, Roger Prophet or usher out front, he wouldn't let one of us in here with a weapon, let alone all of us. So what's the deal with the muskets? Thinking about that, I think in part it has something to do with 2 Corinthians 10.4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We needed some weapon for pulling down strongholds. Our muskets weren't normal muskets. Out here was every high-minded thing that uh, exalts itself against God. Everything that hates God was out here. A normal musket wouldn't take care of this. We needed something special. We needed a special musket. This is what God gave us here. So, okay, so it's a special musket. Uh, What does it represent? Thinking further, I was thinking I'll add Hebrews 4:12 to that. Um, in addition, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. The word of God is like a sharp two-edged sword. Here, um, I think our musket was the word of God. We were in a more modern times so when instead of a two-edged sword, we had a musket. So, I'm saying. The Word of God was our, uh, was our weapon. And uh, it, it appeared in hand as we came forward. It wasn't with us in our seat, but it was in our hand when we came forward, as if it appeared as we needed it. Adding to that, I would think that's... Um, I thought about, I think, Revelation 1.16 um, applies there. I was thinking that he had in his right hand seven stars, but he here is Jesus. So Jesus had in his hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance like the sun shining in in its strength. A sharp two-edged sword. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. Out of his mouth, the words, the words he speaks are powerful, cutting, cutting. they do whatever he says they need to do. His words are like that. His words are like a sharp two-edged sword. So where else have we heard of sharp two-edged sword? Uh, Yeah, Hebrews 4.12. In in Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is a two-edged sword. Revelation 1.16, the words of Jesus. The words of Jesus as God are a sharp two-edged sword. Word of God, two-edged sword. Words of God two-edged sword. These, these words of, these words so coming from him, they're so powerful, so authoritative. He says it, boom, it's done. I, I, um, 
I remember um, some people saying, um, well, talking about Lazarus raising from the dead, I've heard some preachers say, it's a good thing that God said, Lazarus, come forth. If he wouldn't have, everybody would have come forth out of the grave. Well, no, God's words do what he says, what he means for them to do, how he means for them to whom he says they do. Thinking of Lazarus like this way is thinking that God's words are like bullets. He has control of them in his mouth, but then when they get out of his mouth, they kind of do whatever they want. They can have ricochets, and Jesus may have to say, oops, I didn't mean to say that now and then. No, Jesus' words do what he wants them to do when he says for it to happen, as he said. There's several, several places in the Bible that... Uh, would counteract that. Now, I, I, the one I would give would be um, a latter part of Revelation where um, Antichrist has killed God's two witnesses who are probably either Elijah and Moses or probably Elijah and Enoch. But Antichrist has killed both of them. They're laying in the street dead for three and a half days. And then God says, come up here. Not everybody rises up there, just the ones God wanted to come up there. God's words do what he says they're supposed to do, when he says it, and how. Only those two rose up and, and went to heaven, not everybody. So God's words are completely authoritative. And when he doesn't need his words to be authoritative, they're not hanging off the edge of his, the sword isn't hanging off the edge of his lip in a sheath when he don't need them. No, this powerful two-edged sword, these powerful words he says appear as he needs them. Just like our muskets. Our muskets appeared in hand as we needed them. We didn't need them in our seat at the time, but we needed them up here and they appeared in hand. I'm thinking just like Revelation 1.16 for Christ. So then, what exactly do these muskets represent? Now, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking it's this. Our, our muskets represented this, the Word of God, the, those words of God, those powerful, authoritative words that God speaks, those words that come out of God's mouth are here. The words of God are in the Word of God. That makes this powerful. Now, we are to learn how to use this weapon effectively, efficiently against an onslaught of evil. And this pastor that was here did that for us. He was a good pastor. Remember sometime back Aaron Cantrell's uh, sermon on, uh, he, he, um, he said to us the, the purpose of the church, the purpose of the pastor is to train us, to go out in the door, train us how to be Witnesses train us how to be a f how to defend ourselves against an onslaught of evil, and this pastor did this for this pastor here did this for us. He was a good pastor. Um, he taught us how to use the Word of God. Now, he was a good pastor because. Think about this. When he told us to line up, we were up here and lined up in 15 seconds. This takes training. This takes drill practice. Uh, this, um, this just don't happen. If he wouldn't have taught us how to line up and how to use our weapons, it would have been like a Keystone Cops moment. It would have been, line up. Two arms, boys. 
Two arms? I have two arms. What, what do I need two more for? Two arms. Two, oh, oh, man, I left my musket at home. J- James, I need some powder. You got powder. Hey, that's my spot in line. Get, get, out, of my, get out of my way. <clears throat> okay, we're ready. We're ready. No, it didn't happen that way. We knew exactly where to, I knew exactly where to stand, and we knew exactly how to use our weapon. Um, this pastor trained us well in the use of the scriptures. Now, as more and more of these orc men were coming into the back, the, la- the, the snarls and growls were getting louder and fiercer. And the pastor next said, fix bayonets. And it kind of suddenly struck me. That, oh, oh no, oh no. Um, I see this is going to be one mean hand-to-hand combat with evil. And I'll have to say, I was more like Luke at that point than I were any of the two Daves. I was nervous. I was afraid of what I saw out there. And I was afraid of my ability to handle it. And evidently, me and Luke must have been the only two nervous ones in line. And the pastor must have noticed that because the next thing he said was, hold the line, boys, hold the line. And, you know, one never knows how much the words we say to someone else might be an encouragement to them. Um, This reminds me of two lovely passages in Proverbs, Proverbs 25 and 24. Proverbs 25, a word fully spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. Gold and silver are something precious, precious metals. And then apples of gold and settings of silver, something's been crafted, something's made into something beautiful. So a word fitly spoken is like something precious and beautiful. Proverbs 24, even more lovely if you think about it. He who gives a right answer kisses the lips. Now this first sounds weird, but think about that. A word of encouragement at the right time uh, is as tender, as lovely, touches a soul as a kiss from somebody you love. A word spoke, a word of encouragement at the right time is like a loving, tender, precious kiss from your sweetheart. Think of it that way. Remember that first kiss you got from your sweetheart? Usually that's a pretty memorable moment. How it warms you. How it excites you. Well, sometimes just the casual compliments we give someone is all the difference between life and death. Between him turning to the left or turning to the right. And we had no clue that our words would affect him so profoundly. Well, this pastor's admonition to hold the line, um, it did that for me. It did strengthen me. For some reason, I all of a sudden realized what was at stake. Um, Do you see it? Do you you see it yourself? Out here was evil. All, all, All the evil you can think of. Us men were lined up here. The women were behind us. I suddenly realized, if this evil gets through me, if this evil gets through us men, the ladies and children are dead. Everything that's lovely, pure, good, would be gone. And not just for this generation, not just for now, but for all future generations, because the children represented the future. So, I realized, 
all of a sudden, I realized what was at stake. I realized what needed to be done. I realized what I was supposed to do. So I, I set my stance. I set my jaws firmly at Dave Schrock's, and I thought to myself, evil, you are not getting through me. And I suddenly realized that this is a representation of Ephesians 6.13. This whole dream was Ephesians 6.13. All of Ephesians 6 is fantastic to read, but this is our highlight right here. And I've shortened it to make it uh, fit what we needed. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. For us in this dream, this was our evil day. And this pastor trained us well to stand. Only with the scriptures, only with the scripture in your heart can you stand. Without the scriptures there, you're not standing. So that was the admonition. We need the scriptures in our heart, or it's going to be like trying to stand against a tidal wave. We need God's special weapons. So that's where my dream ended. So the moral of the story? Well, the moral of the story that as I saw it was... um, us as fathers, our guardians of our households, of our families, to protect them from evil. So stand firm. Don't let sin get past you into your households. Um, this reminds me of one of Bill Anderson's sermons that he gave us, uh, that we as Christians are to stand firm against the evil that's coming. Now, on analyzing this tr- Oh, oh, yeah, sorry, I forgot. On analyzing this dream, I uh, realized there's another scenario that takes place way too often. How many times when we're standing here in line do we happen to see our favorite sin out there? And say, Chopper? Hey, Chopper, is that you? Man! Yeah, man, you taught me how to cuss using words I never knew before. And those porn sites... Man, who knew? How you doing, Chopper? <laughs> yeah, hey, have you ever met the wife and family? Here, excuse me, Dave. Excuse me, Jane. Here, Kate, I'd like you to meet Chopper. <laughs> you see what happened? Instead of being a guardian for my family, I became the gateway that let them into my house. I let them in. So... And it not, only, it not only hurts my family, it hurts all the other families that are here too, all your families too. So, well, gee, Pop, Pius Paul lies to get whatever he wants. Why can't I? Well, men, I don't want to be the weak brick in Stacy Shrock's, Tracy Shrock's wall that allows sin in. So church, I'm sorry that I have taken this responsibility so casually. I've been so flippant about this. So, men, I beg all of you um, to examine yourself, to examine all ourselves. And um, Ephesians 6.13, that we may be able to withstand in the evil day and to having done all that we can stand. So evil, dark days are coming. And we as Christians... We have to shine brighter and purer than we ever have before. We need each other. 
I remember as a kid, um, in grade school, we'd play Red Rover. I don't know if any of you all played Red Rover, but in like kindergarten, first, second grade, we'd choose up teams, we'd line up in line facing each other, about 30 feet apart, and one of us say, Red Rover, Red Rover, send Billy right over. And Billy would start, as Billy started coming, running toward our lines, we'd all lock arms and we'd brace for his impact. Because in this game, if he could break through our line, he could bring one of us back to his line. But if we held firm and he couldn't break through, then he becomes part of our line. And we keep playing this game till one line's completely gone. Well, that's, as Christian men, that's what we need to do. Um, we all have flaws. We're all bent. We're all weak in certain cases. And this, in this battle, I may be the strong one and I'm holding up my weak neighbor next to me. The next battle, I may be the weak one and he's holding me up. We need each other. We need to lock arms. That's going to be a great thing coming up for the men's retreat this uh, first part of June. This will be a great way to learn how to link arms with your neighbor and to learn how to use our arms to be able to stand against the evil that's here. So, so men, as pastors told me in this room, I mean in, in this dream, hold the line, boys, hold the line, and stand fast. That was the other dream. I, I uh, appreciated um, Laith getting up here and saying um, how much he liked the blessing at the end of a sermon. I thought I was the only one that liked that when Pastor Mark would give us the blessing at the end of a sermon. Evidently, in each one of us, there's a little hollow spot, there's a little vacuum in there that longs for a blessing, that longs for words of encouragement. So in closing, I will give you one of my favorite blessings from number six, where Aaron blessed the whole congregation of Israel, where he said, may the Lord God bless you, may he keep you, May the Lord God make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may he lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. One last thing before leaving. Um, I'm up here because of Seth Schrock. I mean, Seth Gilgeson. Dog on your hide, Seth. I say that affectionately. Um, but... That one Sunday, when we found out that our new pastor wasn't coming, he came up front and he said something to the effect, guys, we can handle this. There's enough people here in our congregation that can give a message that we can get through this. And the Holy Spirit told me at that time, son, I want you to get up there and tell that dream. So here I am. So the next thing I, I'll ask, um, who's next? I'm sure the Holy Spirit will be talking to someone else next. So who's next? So thank you all very much. Um, may this be a blessed day. Enjoy the sun while we have it because it sounds like rain's coming in again tomorrow. So thank you all very much.